Good morning. I'd like to thank everybody who has sent their well wishes to me this week as I've been fighting just a nasty virus. I am on the mend, uh, but I have my hot tea up here to help me get through this service, so uh, this should be good. I, I also want to thank the people who were brutally honest with me this week and said things like, you look terrible, and you sound awful. And on another note, Wow, your team really blew the Super Bowl, didn't they? <laughs> Thanks for your honesty with me. I really appreciate it. Well, today we are beginning a quick two-week uh, two series that is going to lead us up to the Freeway series, and it will also help to set up our time of significant sacrifice in Lent. So we're calling the series Significant Sacrifice. This is the time of year beginning on Ash Wednesday, which is a week and a half away, where we all give something up for Lent, put the money for that thing aside, and then we gather it all together to do something awesome in our world together. Lent begins, as I said, on February 18th, and so this series is really just going to help to prepare us for that season of significant sacrifice. Next week, we'll have somebody here from LifeWater who's going to be telling us about where our money is going to go this year for our significant sacrifice. And this week, what I want to do is talk about the foundation for our significant sacrifice. Why do we do it? We're going to be taking communion in just a little bit. And when we do, we are going to be taking some very simple elements. And so today I want to look at these elements a little more closely and see what they teach us about Christ's significant sacrifice and what that means for us today. So our scripture reading is going to come from Matthew's gospel. At Matthew chapter 26, we'll read the story of the Last Supper. And this is where the first communion took place. So Matthew 26, beginning in verse 17. Matthew writes, On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. Then we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we get to gather around your word once again here today. And I pray that this word would just be sealed on our hearts, that you would write it on the tablet of our hearts, that it might form a foundation for not just our life when we're here together, but our, all of our life that we live out in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, every two months we celebrate the Lord's Supper here together at Highlands Church, communion. And having read this story in Matthew, you may think, well, hey, I know all the significance and all the reasons that these elements are used. But I want to suggest that in order to fully appreciate the elements that we use for communion, that we need to look back even further, 1,500 years earlier than that Last Supper, in fact, to the end of the Israelite slavery in Egypt, the departure from Egypt as known as the Passover. I'm sorry, it's known as the Exodus. I'm getting to the Passover. Uh, It can be argued that the Exodus is the central event in the Old Testament. The Exodus ended a time of brutal slavery where the Israelites faced ruthless taskmasters who made their lives bitter and hard. They had to endure the Pharaoh who ordered that at one point all of their baby boys be thrown into the Nile River. The circumstances were unthinkable. And the people called out to God. And God heard their cry and he sent Moses to lead the Exodus. And the Exodus was memorialized in a celebration that has been celebrated ever since and even to this day by the Jews. And that celebration is called the Passover or the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Why these two different names? Well, initially, it was probably that they were two separate celebrations, a one-day Passover celebration followed by a week-long Festival of Unleavened Bread. But along the way, they really just kind of became to merge and to fuse into one celebration. And so that's why it can be known as unleavened bread or the Passover. Now, with those two words in mind, let's go back and let's read the first verse from our passage again today, Matthew 26, 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to make the preparations for for you to eat the Passover? You see, Jesus' last supper happened within the context of the Passover celebration. And I want to say that for us to truly understand the elements that are on this table and the full significance and meaning behind them, it's helpful for us to know a little bit about the food for the Passover. Now, I don't need to tell you that it's important on our holidays and our ceremonies and our festivals to have good food, right? And that our food can have special meaning for us. I mean, look at what our nation does on Thanksgiving. 90% of Americans eat turkey on Thanksgiving Day. It links us to a national story. It takes us back to that original Thanksgiving back in 1621. And then our families have special recipes and foods that we serve on special holidays. A special pie, a stuffing, some casserole that's been passed on from generation to generation. And we eat these because they're delicious and because they link us to our family's heritage. Sometimes we eat them even if they aren't delicious, right? My family has this tradition of serving beef kidneys on toast for breakfast on Christmas morning. Sound good? You know you want some right now, don't you? 
I, I asked my mom, it's actually my mom's side of the family, I asked her, why do you do this this week? I, I never knew the story. She said, well, my grandmother was English, and this is an English thing, and so she started it, and it's just become part of what our family does, at least until people start getting higher cholesterol, and then it doesn't happen quite as much. Because the trick to eating kidneys on toast is that you have to cover it with bacon, because the bacon just takes away the flavor of the kidneys. I also learned from my mom this week that when they make it, they actually put the bread into the bacon grease before toasting it. (laughs) Sounds delicious and appetizing and a heart attack just waiting to happen. It's probably worth noting that most people who marry into my family uh, do not participate in this particular family tradition. Now, you may think that my family's food tradition is weird, and that's okay, uh, but it is tied to a family story. And the food tradition for the Passover is also tied to a family story. And that family grew into an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And the centerpiece of the Passover meal is the Passover lamb. According to Deuteronomy 16, this lamb is to be slaughtered and butchered at the place where God's name dwells. And so in the first century, when Jesus was walking around, Jews knew that that place was the temple in Jerusalem. And so that is where these Passover lambs were were sacrificed and and then cooked And then the the meat was eaten within the city on that first day. What was the significance of this Passover lamb? Well, it was a reminder of the first Passover, which ended that brutal time in slavery. Here's how that first Passover played out. God had previously sent Moses to the Pharaoh with a simple message. Let my people go. And Pharaoh's message was equally as simple, no. Over and over again, this played out. And because of the Pharaoh's hard heart, Egypt was subjected to 10 plagues. You've probably heard of these or seen them in movies before, plagues of frogs, of locusts, of boils. The 10th and final plague was the worst. It was the plague of the firstborn. And in a single night, all the households in Egypt lost their firstborn. It was an awful night. But God provided a means of protection for the Israelites. He told them to take a lamb without spot or blemish. And to sacrifice that lamb, and before they cooked the meat to eat it, they were to take some of the blood from that lamb and to put it on the doorposts of their, of their house and on the top of the doorframe of their house. And then that night of the plague, when God came to a house and saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that house and spare it from the plague. Hence the name Passover. Thus the blood of the lamb represented protection from God's judgment. And those who were under the blood were saved. Okay, now keep that image in mind. The other important food from the festival was the unleavened bread, or bread that didn't have yeast in it, so it couldn't rise. 
Why unleavened bread? Well, you see, on the night of that plague, the Pharaoh woke up in the middle of the night and he saw the devastation all around him. And then Exodus 12 tells us what happens next. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and he said, rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said and be gone and bring a blessing on me too. Finally, at least for a short period of time, the Pharaoh changed his mind and he let the people go. He would change his mind a little bit later and go after them. But for now, he said, you can go. The story continues. The Egyptians urged the people to hasten their departure from the land, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And so this unleavened bread is a reminder of the bread that they had on that first Passover, that first night when they got up to leave, when God said, grab your flatbread and get out of there. Here was their reminder that they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So it was a perpetual reminder of the haste with which they left. So, okay, so then we have two main foods for the Passover. We have the Passover lamb, which symbolized God's protection, the protection from God's judgment. And then we have the unleavened bread, which represents freedom, deliverance, the freedom from oppression, freedom from slavery. Because though the Pharaoh chased after them, we know that he was unsuccessful when they got to the Red Sea, right? And so it was this night where they moved into this new world of freedom. So the whole festival together is a celebration of, of protection and of freedom. Now here's what Jesus did with this Passover meal. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the elements of the Passover and he infused them with new meaning. He expanded upon what they already meant and gave them even more. Now, there was no Passover lamb. We do not have a lamb here today. There was a reason for that. It's most likely that this meal actually occurred the night before the traditional Passover feast. And so it would have been too early to sac properly sacrifice a lamb at the temple. But there was also a symbolic reason for what Jesus, for not having the Passover lamb at this meal. And that is because the very next day, as preparations were being made for the Passover meal, the day that the lambs were being slaughtered, it was on that day that Jesus would die on a cross and become the ultimate Passover lamb for us all. Listen to what the authors of the New Testament say about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. John 1, 29, the words of John the Baptist. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood 
of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There was no Passover lamb at the Last Supper because Jesus was becoming the ultimate once and for all time Passover lamb for us all. And so after supper, Jesus took the cup, probably the third cup in the Passover Seder, the cup of redemption. And he gave it such meaning. He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so he takes the cup and he's reminded, we're reminded of the blood of that Passover lamb. And now his blood does even more for us. The blood of the old Passover gave protection from God's judgment. The blood of Jesus' significant sacrifice would do the same thing, but in an even greater way. It would give us protection in the form of forgiveness. It would make us clean. It would make us pure regardless of anything that we have ever done. It would make us whole. Of course, before Jesus took that cup that night, he took the unleavened bread and he broke it. And with that, once again, he infused new meaning. He said, this body, this, this bread, which represents freedom, well, it, now it represents my body and the freedom that you have through my body, the deliverance that my broken body is able to provide for you. Not just from slavery in Egypt, but freedom from all the things that are waging war against your soul. All the hidden lies, all the addictions, all the regrets and shame, all of the injustice that's been done to you, and all of the injustice that you have participated in. My broken body was given for you so that you could be free. And by eating this bread, Jesus' disciples were identifying with this work of deliverance and freedom. So you see, these elements take on a whole bunch of meaning when we really begin to understand the story from which they came from. They remind us that Jesus' significant sacrifice on our, half, on our behalf was given so that we could be forgiven Yes, but not only that, but also so that we could be set free. This is the foundation for our significant sacrifice. Because through Christ, we know that we can give not just a little something, but we can give significantly. We can give sacrificially. We give because Jesus has given so freely to us. We celebrate what, that we have been set free, but we also recognize that Jesus didn't just die for us. He died for the world. And so we participate in those things that bring freedom and deliverance for others. Now, before I talk about quickly about the ways that you're going to have an opportunity to provide freedom and deliverance for, from others um, in this coming year, in 2015, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about what you did in 2014 and to celebrate it. Last year, through our significant sacrifice, you gave more than double any of the previous years of the significant sacrifice. You gave $16,000. 
That money was used to build two wells and one protected stream in Uganda. Today, no less than 1,020 people have the gift of water and hygiene and sanitation because of your gift last year. But that's not all. At Thanksgiving time, you help to support the, the smash out hunger that we do every year, and you brought in food donations as well. So we were able to donate $1,400 plus take four truckloads of food down to loaves and fishes right here in Paso. At Christmas Eve, we asked if you would give a little something above and beyond what you would normally give at the Christmas Eve service. And so the entire offering that night, $8,500 you gave above and beyond. Let me tell you what that is being used for. Five different directions. First, People's Kitchen in downtown Paso, where Second Baptist Church, you're feeding the homeless. Fellowship of Christian Athletes has ministries in our local schools here in North County. You're supporting those. Front Porch College Ministry at Cal Poly. Campus Crusades at UCSB, the the college ministry there. We were able to send significant donations to all three of the mission sites that we visited for Students International last year that we sent mission teams to. Nicaragua, going back there. Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, we're going to go back there too. And the money that you gave is helping them to expand their ministries and reach more people. And this doesn't even take into account what your gifts to the general offering every week are doing in this community and around the world. Let me give you just a couple little snippets. One of the great joys that I have is to get to hear some of the stories and to meet some of the people who benefit from the Samaritan Fund that you guys fund 100%. We don't tell the stories very often because we like to protect the privacy of those who receive the gifts. But just let me share a couple quick little windows without sharing names about things that happened in 2014. When a single mom ran out of propane for her home and could no longer heat the home for her children and heat the water in the home, we were able to pay the propane bill to restore service to the home. When a young woman who'd been subject to domestic violence found herself with a newborn baby and homeless, we were able to provide three nights in a hotel until social services came in and took things over. When a mom with a disabled son couldn't take her her son to Santa Barbara to meet with a specialist because she couldn't afford it, we gave her gas cards so that she could make that very important meeting with her son. When a young woman from Phoenix came into town and she was fleeing domestic abuse herself. We helped provide food, clothes, and a motel stay until social services came in to the picture to help out in a more holistic way. And during the Christmas season, no less than 25 families received Christmas gifts through your generosity, families that wouldn't have gotten those things anyway. Those are just some of the stories. I want to take a minute and celebrate what God is doing through all of you. So let's do that. Let's take a minute and just thank God for what he did in 2014. And now as we celebrate all that God has done, 
in 2014, I want to invite you to come back next week, and I want to invite you to fully engage with the significant sacrifice when it starts a week and a half from today. As I mentioned at the outset, we're going to have a guest here from LifeWater next week who'll tell us where our gifts are going. And let me just tell you, we're going to be talking about this throughout the season. Your gifts are going to bring freedom, freedom from waterborne illness and parasites, freedom from oppression and danger. Free, people will be set free to, to no longer have to spend their whole lives pursuing water. They'll be free to pursue education, free to work, free to spend time with their families. What an opportunity. And we do it all because of Christ's significant sacrifice on our behalf. And so I pray that these elements down here would take on new meaning for you today. I pray that as you receive them, that you would recognize that they represent forgiveness and they represent freedom for you individually. But it's not just for you individually. It's something that we together as a community receive and then seek to share that freedom and that forgiveness with our world. These elements, they're for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And let me say that you don't have to be perfect to receive the elements. But you do need to be a person who says, I want to identify with the saving work of Christ, with the forgiveness, with the freedom. Not just for me, but I want, it, I want to transform me, and then I want to go out, and alongside my brothers and sisters here, I want to change the world. That's what this is about. In a minute, I'm going to have Katie come up and administer the sacraments, because as you can probably tell, I'm still not feeling great, so I won't be handling what you'll be eating. <laughs> uh, but as, as she comes up, I just want to invite you. I, oh, I did want to say this. If for any reason you want to let the elements pass you by today, if you feel like I'm just not ready to make that sort of statement or commitment, you can just let them pass you by. Nobody in here will judge you for that. It's an act of authenticity before God, and, and God honors those acts of authenticity. So please feel free to do that. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, Katie will come up. Lord, we thank you so much for this meal. And Lord, I pray that we would all recognize that this is not just bread and juice, that when we take these elements, that we are experiencing your presence your true and real and authentic presence with us, and that we are being reminded that we are forgiven people because your blood has washed us clean. And Lord, that you are working in us to free us from all those things that we have been enslaved to. And so Lord, this, may this food work in us and do its remarkable work of freedom. And may it send us out to do that in the lives of others as well. Lord, we pray that you would set these elements apart from a common to a holy purpose, that we might commune with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.